Hey there, this is Randy, one of the pastors here at Vernon First Baptist Church, and I'm so excited to introduce another one of our pastors, Grace Wolf, as she brings this message to Philadelphia to us. So I want you to sit back as Ruth reads our scripture and then Grace unpacks it for us. Trust that you'll open your heart to what Jesus has for you through it. From Revelation 3. Thanks so much. Revelations chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the Satan, of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. I'm looking at those words. I will not be shaking. (laughs) A couple of uh, people suggested to me since we had another hour last night that I'd have an extra hour to preach. And I assure you, I will not. (laughs) However, I do hope you had a good night's rest last night. I was very thankful. I did. So, we're going to dive into Revelation 3. And just like the Philadelphians, I stand up here today with a bit of trembling. Because speaking from the book of Revelation, which I've never done before, has challenged me and stretched me in many ways. I've been asking God to show me what Jesus has to say to us in this passage. For we want to hear what God's revelation is to us. As just as this letter was written to the ancient Philadelphians. 
Now, I have appreciated Pastor Randy's careful examination of this book so far, and I know he will continue to unwrap the book, and I have much to learn. My father loved this book and often told us that it would bring blessing. We learn this in chapter 1 of Revelation where it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, I have been reluctant about this book, quite honestly, for a number of reasons, and I know I'm not alone. I'm going to share a little bit more about that as we go along. But I have been praying for an open mind, a willingness to learn what Jesus is saying, a curiosity about what it means, and the knowing that our questions are okay. We do not need to fully understand. There have been many interpretations over the years, and really our main focus is to stay close to Jesus, which is really the theme of this message today. So let's go to Philadelphia. Philadelphia was an ancient city, one of the oldest dioceses in Asia Minor. Ancient Philadelphia, also known as modern Alazashir, and I never know how to pronounce that, but um, there it is. It, It was a town located in the Aegean region of Turkey. I don't know how many of you have been to Turkey The remains of the 600 AD Byzantine Basilica of St. John is considered to be the main archaeological attraction in this modern city. It's beautiful. And these towers have significance as we unfold these scriptures today. In 133 BC, the city passed into the control of the Romans. It was actually during the first few centuries before Christ that Jewish families settled in the cities of Western Asia Minor and whom among the apostles, notably Apostle Paul and John, visited. They labored there and they established the first Christian churches. Their efforts are reflected in the mention of Philadelphia, of course, among the seven churches in John's book of Revelation. Being located in the area of an Antolia fault, Philadelphia suffered greatly through the ages from earthquakes. An earthquake in the year 17 was so devastating that the Roman emperor Tiberius relieved the city of having to pay taxes. It was so severe. Even so, Philadelphia remained a prosperous city into Byzantine times. I don't know how many of you have experienced an earthquake. Maybe a few, not many. I know the only time I did, I remember the light swaying. It certainly wasn't that that challenging. But there have people who have lived through devastating earthquakes, and I don't think we'd really want to experience that. The truth of it is that Philadelphia was besieged by earthquakes being near an active volcano located near the Antonio Fault. One account I read talked about residents being prepared to leave the city at any time. In fact, I read that many of them had small dwellings outside the city that they could escape to. The ground was unstable, and they lived unsettled lives. Verse 8 of our text says, I know you have little strength, 
Yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. These early Christians, one of the two churches of the seven, which John finds no fault, is praised for hanging on, even though their strength is weak. They have not denied the name of Jesus. Now, this is something I can relate to. Strength is something I pray for regularly, as I totally understand weakness. In fact, you might hear it in my throat. I've had a long time of getting my throat back, but anyway, my voice back, but I'm so glad to be with you today. I know it helps me to rely on Jesus. He is our strength. And as we get older, we're not as strong as we once were. I have enjoyed the comic strip Pickles, which I refer to in my last newsletter, which uh, I send out on Mondays. And here is little Nelson. He looks just like my grandson, Isaiah, and he's quite concerned that Grandma is in a bit of pain. And um, she wonders what's wrong, and she says, oh, nothing, oh, nothing. I'm just getting old. And uh, he assuredly says, well, you're not getting older. I can't have to read this here. I have need my glasses to read that. And she says, I'm not. And he says, no, you got old a long time ago. (laughs) That would be my grandson. And yes, it's true. We feel our weaknesses more intensely as we age. Life is more fragile. And scripture gives us much encouragement. I love these words which Hannah used this morning, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 62, 5-6, which read, Rest in God alone, O my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. And the Apostle Paul encourages us from Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This was a familiar theme to Paul. Here in 2 Corinthians 12.9, he writes, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we look at that phrase, I will not be shaken, from Psalm 62, a psalm this church would have been familiar with, I think they could relate. They lived in a city that was constantly shaking. But they are praised for their faithfulness, even in the face of an unsettled life, and maybe even more so for the persecution that they faced. For they did face great persecution from the larger Jewish population who did not believe in the Messiah. And those were those Jewish people that had moved there well before Christ and settled there. John writes, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Jesus holds the key to this door, and it is open. While I have read a number of interpretations to this imagery, one thing is clear to me. Jesus is a key. He holds the key. He is key. He is the one who will make all things clear. We need to stay close to him. We continue with verse 9 of our passage. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, 
but are liars, I will make them come down and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. I read several commentaries about the Jewish community at that time that the letter was written. And as we've talked about, there was a large settlement of Jews that lived in Philadelphia and a much smaller group of Jewish Christians who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. These Christian Jews were persecuted and despised by the larger Jewish community. Calling this larger Jewish community a synagogue of Satan can seem harsh, but Gordon Fee explains it this way. Even though for later years, years, this sounds like a rather harsh thing to say about the synagogue in Philadelphia, this is most likely John's present judgment as a disciple of the crucified but now risen one against a community that should have received its message with open arms but failed to do so. N.T. Wright further explains the larger Jewish community, the established community, was using its civic status to hold power over the Jewish Christians and thus the persecution. We should not imagine a church, he says, on one street corner and a synagogue on another, as in many cities today. We should imagine a Jewish community of several thousand with its own buildings and community life and a church of probably two or three dozen at most holding on the highly improbably and extremely risky claim that the God of Israel had raised Jesus from the dead. That imbalance goes some way to explain what is now being said in this passage. The language of this time often uses exaggeration and imagery to make a point, which we can find surprising at times. According to Strong's Dictionary, the Greek word satana means adversary. It means an accuser. When Jesus rebukes Peter in Matthew 16, 23, he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This use of the word satana, the Greek, is the same noun that is used in Revelation. Peter had become adversarial, and Jesus rebukes him. And as Jesus shows mercy to Peter, he knows his heart. So too, in Revelation, the passage says, I will make them come down and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Perhaps, too, this is the open door we are hearing about, that there is an opportunity, an invitation for all the Jews to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, to turn from their persecuting and acknowledge the love of Christ. Verse 10 and 11 talk about the coming trial. And Jesus declares, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. I am hearing Jesus say, hang on. Don't give up. Persevere. According to Robert Mounts, he suggests that Jesus' coming would end their time of trial. Robert Mounts, a New Testament scholar and theologian, suggests that the coming to Philadelphia would end their time of trial 
and establish them as permanent citizens of the eschatological kingdom. Our verse says, hold on, hold on to what you have so no one can take your crown. There is this picture of endurance, of finishing a race, of holding on to Jesus, whatever is ahead. Mounts writes, since the end is not far off, they are to hold fast what they have so that no one will take their crown. The crown was a wreath awarded to the winner of an athletic contest. The metaphor would be especially appropriate in this letter in that Philadelphia was known for its games and festivals. Now, as a child, I imagined we would earn a crown and the amount of jewels would reflect our behavior. So, you know, the better we were, the more the crowns kind of was the idea. I don't know if you ever had that picture as a kid. I don't think this is the kind of crown Jesus is referring to. It is a reward of endurance, finishing the race, much like a wreath that was given in these ancient times and in Philadelphia. So let's go back to verse 10. Jesus says, I am coming soon. What do these words mean to the Philadelphians? What do they mean to us today? Now, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. My dad loved prophecy, and indeed it was a popular subject and central to Bible teaching growing up. My dad was a pastor, and he believed he would be raptured in his lifetime, and we regularly looked to the sky. But we also stockpiled food. My family built a bomb shelter. Remember, these were the days of the Cold War. And we lived with the spoken certainty that the rapture would come soon, and we had better be ready. We did not want to be left behind. Conversations were held regularly about how this might all happen, and you might be familiar with some of the teaching at that time, and maybe even today. Would it be pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-tribulation? How much would we suffer? Would Christians bear the burden of persecution? It would be terrible. It sounded terrible to my teenage ears. I didn't bother pursuing an education, or at least not much of one. Many of my friends didn't. What was the point? Even having a family was fraught with concern. There are these warnings of mothers fleeing with babies, and that frightened me as I started my own family. Jesus himself said in Mark 13, 17, and alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Those were sobering words. I don't fully understand the implications, but I do know that scriptures such as these were used often when I was growing up and instilled fear rather than an anticipation of joy or hope. I, like many others in our generation, were taught these theories, interpretations, and predictions, which instead of promoting joy, created a lot of anxiety, and in some cases, even trauma. When I think of the word apocalypse, it invokes horror. It has been good to know that apocalypse means to reveal to enlighten. It points to Jesus, and Jesus does not want us to be afraid. 
So what does Jesus mean when he declares, I am coming soon? Certainly this letter was written to the Philadelphian church, and we know that his second coming, as we imagine it, didn't come in that generation. I have heard this quote, one I thought was attributed to Billy Graham, but I couldn't find the exact source, but the truth of it makes sense to me. Every generation has had reason to believe Jesus is coming soon. Every generation. And at times we cry with humanity, how long, O Lord, are you coming? We look forward to our eternal home and being with him forever, for being free from pain and the troubles we have. A wise man, oh, actually, first I forgot Martin Luther, the great reformer said this, even if I knew that tomorrow would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. And a wise man, once, a wise friend told me this, we can face life and live as if today would be our last day on earth, but also with the knowledge we could live to be a hundred. That is wisdom living. For we truly don't know the day or the hour. What we do know is that Jesus loves us. He has promised to be with us. And as he taught us to pray, we pray that his kingdom comes here on earth and in heaven. While we live here, we have work to do, even as we await his second coming. And it seems to me we are often more occupied with correct theology and our interpretation of it rather than loving our neighbor as Jesus taught us to. So why did Jesus tell the Philadelphian church he was coming soon? This is mystery to me, and I've come to a place where I am okay with not knowing. And I believe that is scriptural. Matthew 24, 36 says this, No one knows when the day or hour will come. Even the angels in heaven and the Son don't know. Only the Father knows. So the question remains, what do these words mean to us today? What did they mean to the Philadelphians? Perhaps they are words of comfort. And indeed, I believe Jesus comes to us over and over again through the work of the Holy Spirit and also his just dear, sweet presence. We light the Christ candle as we did this morning, but do we really believe he is here? When my first husband was dying, there was a night that was particularly difficult. As I sat praying, watching, I felt so helpless. And then it was like my eyes were opened, and I saw Jesus standing beside my husband, ministering to him. Was this a vision or a revelation? I was an observer. I can't explain it. But I do know I experienced at that moment the Lord's presence in such a real way. And knowing he was there, my anxiety was gone, I was able to relax, and I went to sleep. So Jesus comes to us, sometimes in unusual and mysterious ways. I can only imagine that he was with soldiers in foxholes during the great wars, and he is with those that are in the middle of war and unrest and persecution today. I can see him ministering in jail cells 
asylums, in refugee camps. I have heard stories of how he appears in dreams to Muslims and others and reveals he is the Christ. I believe he shows up at bedsides. He is with us in disasters and calamity, and he is present in more ways than we are even aware of. We have a God who cares, who promises over and over again that his love is everlasting and his presence is sure. Shane Claiborne posted this meme a few days ago, which speaks to this so well. A quote from Manther Isaac, and it's so current. Where is God in war? And the answer, he writes, God is under the rubble. It's a sobering thought. It's a beautiful thought. God is there. And Jesus reminds us, in this world you will have trouble. And he went on to say, he has overcome the world. In the end of time, all will be well. I want to touch briefly on verse 12. The one who is victorious will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. When we think about a tower and safety, we need to see it in the light of a people who lived in fear of earthquakes, who knew well the reality of crumbling buildings and unstable towers. These words would be incredibly comforting to them, a wonderful promise. And they also would well know the words of Psalm 1810, which read, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. We also have this image that we are living stones. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2.5, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. These are beautiful images. And there are prophecies in these verses, the one about the strong tower. There's the promise of the new Jerusalem in those verses, a vision of permanence and strength, victory, and an end to suffering. These promises offer stability and hope in a time of persecution. As these words would have brought comfort to the Philadelphians, we too can take comfort that Jesus provides for us. We have this image of Jesus as our strong tower. He is our strength, even in our weakness, and we find refuge as we sit with him. When we sit with Jesus, relying on his strength, we too can be a calm presence for others, a reflection of Christ's love and grace. We can look forward to the future with hope and joy. We could continue to unpack, try to interpret, decipher this letter to the Philadelphians, as indeed has been done over time. It has created debate and even disagreement over what Jesus, through the Apostle John, is saying. But two things became very clear to me as I studied, praying about what I should say today. The first and perhaps most important is that we need to stay close to Jesus. He holds the key, our scripture says. 
He is the open door. And when we spend time with Jesus, listening, pondering his words, aware of his presence, focusing on his attributes, we can relax. We don't need to understand it all. In fact, we are told we won't. But we can trust in the one who does. And the second thought closely related is that we can run to God anytime, all the time. God is our strong tower, our place of refuge. This is a tower that will not be shaken, even though we might feel shaken at times. Again, as the psalmist says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And so we thank you, God, for these beautiful images that draw us closer to you. We don't have to know or understand it all because we know you do. And we do know that you love us, you provide for us, you are our strong tower, and we can run to you and relax in your presence. Amen. As you go today, knowing knowing that Jesus goes with you. He's opened a door for you that you can walk through no matter what you end up facing this week. That he is there with you. That he is the strong tower for you. And whether you're here today or you're at home watching this, you're watching this or listening to it online, know that Jesus is with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.